We are now representing 12 women, and we will file the remaining cases, uh, the additional five cases, in due course as we do our due diligence. You should also know that we've also spoken to more than 10 additional women. Yeah, a couple of things like you said. I think the legal process is, is kind of a separate entity. Um, that's a pretty active situation. Um, so, you know, we'll leave that to, um, you know, to the authorities and, and from that perspective. Um, as it pertains to the team, uh, honestly, Bert, I mean, we're kind of day to day with, with everything. With And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and we're a couple of weeks past free agency as it goes into the rear view mirror. We're looking ahead now as the draft is only just over a month away. Joining us from Texans Unfiltered this week is Jai Ear. How you doing? Jai, are you all right? Doing good, man. How about you? Everything good? Yeah, not too bad. It's not too bad surviving the, the surviving the madness of the off season, and uh, I suppose the I don't know if you are you a basketball man. I saw the the Cougars got got through at the final four last night, so uh, some small uh, ray of hope in the Houston sports scene. Yeah, something had to give, man. With, the, with how the Texans are going, the Rockets. At least we have the Houston Cougars to keep us, you know, keep us happy. <laughs> Well, that's it. Yeah, good to see. Some, I mean, something. I know the Astros have got a lot of questions around them. Rockets losing 20 games in a row and uh, the Houston Texas mess kind of seems to keep revolving and, uh, and and spinning out of control, I suppose, as we go. But um, as free agency goes with Casario, what do, you th- what do you make of the job he's done overall? I think people seem to be effusive in their praise and partly because they've just been used to such bad treatment over the last couple of years. But uh, what do you make of the moves and the amount of moves he's made? To be honest, he hasn't really done much to impress besides a few of the signings. Um, just looking at, at the defense overall, he's, he's had, a, he's had a lot, but it doesn't really, really move the needle. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's, he's been industrious. I think there's a way you could, you could describe it, but he's, he's, Overall, I, I'm I'm not. I think it's been quite. It's definitely been quantity over quality, um, and I think there's a number of guys here who you, you know might not even make the roster, and, and definitely won't be here in a year's time. So I think when you're looking on the from the outside in, it's I, I've struggled. We talked about this last week. I've struggled to understand what his strategy is. Where does he? see this team's position because obviously they made a lot of public soundings about you know the Watson issues etc but their actions would eventually show the real thinking and I suppose we're we've probably seen some of that but my point that I put out on Twitter yesterday and obviously we've just saw the news this morning that they've restructured the Whitney Merc- uh, sorry, the restructured the Whitney Merciless deal at the back end of, of last week they've now restructured Zach coming I'm saving just over five million dollars on the cap this year. Um, but as Texas cap put out earlier, you've now got four players accounting for 50% of your cap dollars going into next year or the projected cap dollars for next year. So I, I don't understand what, what the need is to sign so many third and fourth rate level players 
to then only kick spend it into future years and then inhibit your future ability to make moves when you actually want to spend money when you might be in a better chance to win because it's not going to be this year. I think the biggest thing to look at too is is that most of them are one-year, two-year deals. So they don't really affect the Texans cap moving forward a lot besides. And they also, uh, I kind of expected a lot of the signings on defense, not, not this many so early on, but we have... 11 signings. Uh, we can go down the list real quick. Um, on the defensive line, we got uh, Vincent, Ta- Vincent Taylor, Millie Collins, Jordan Jen- Jen- Jenkins, Derek Rivers, and then our linebackers are Kamu Kam- Grudger Hill. <laughs> really butchered that one. Um, Kevin Pierre Lewis, Joe Thomas, Tay Davis, Hardy Nickerson. Uh, those are the linebackers, and our cornerbacks are Tr- Tremont Smith, Terrence Mitchell, and Tavir Thomas. Desmond King and our safety Terrence Brooks. So it's been eleven signings, but overall, what hasn't really surprised me has been the front seven because we're moving from a three-four scheme to a four-three scheme. So obviously, a lot of the players that we have right now from the previous roster, from Bill O'Brien, Brian Gang, Jack Easterby, uh, they aren't really compatible to a four-three scheme that Levy Smith wants to run. So I get that they're trying to get a lot of, you know, players that have played in a 4-3 scheme before, like Collins. He played with the Cowboys. They played in a 4-3 scheme. Um, just around that, Joe Thomas, Tate Davis. I mean, they have some background playing in 4-3 scheme, so I, I get that. And they're low-risk move, low low moves and, you know, high ceiling. But for the most part, it's like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them are just – you know, camp bodies, and we'll see how, how they move from there. Yeah, because you've got to think about that. Well, for me, it's it's the breadth of science. So there's 11 players, and you've, you know, you named, you know, however many linebackers there. And a guy like Joe Thomas, uh, you know, Hardy Nickerson's just a special teams guy. You know, and I, I think if you're going to rebuild, then what's the need to spend money on guys who are journeymen, guys that are on their third or fourth team in as many years? And actually, could you not have got a rookie? Guy in there, undrafted free agent for a less cost. If, when they're when they're only going to be asked to play a limited role in special teams, then what do you need to spend into the, into that number? Um, and I, I don't I don't quite understand that myself. What, what's the need to to spend right up to the cap this year? Impact next year? And I know it's small amounts, but it's a lot of small deals. And when they all add up to a certain amount, then it's uh, it's difficult to to understand where he's going. But the the, like if you look at the linebacker situation, I'm not quite sure who plays Sam in this new system. Um, assuming Kirks is going to be the, the is going to be the Mike and in in uh, Cunningham because you've paid him that. Cunningham big will be the will. Um, and, and he's, he's yeah yeah it'll be the will. I, who do you think starts? Who do you think starts at Sam? As of right now, I'd probably say Kevin Pierre Lewis. Uh, he had probably from the um, contract standpoint, he's the only one that has a two year deal from their linebackers. So it probably makes sense for Casario to see what he has in, in that defense. But I'm not really sure. I'm still kind of interested to see how it plays out in training camp because we still have the draft, so we might get a linebacker there. But it's still, still pretty, pretty early. Yeah, I, I definitely don't rule out drafting a linebacker. I think that's that's going to be a need that we can, we'll look at and hopefully, you know, find somebody you know in the third and fourth round with the li- limited capital we've got and I suppose the less picks you've got the less concerns you probably want to be around the whole, the whole issue or, or the whole cons- or consideration if you like of 
of of sort of the premium positions because I think you've got you've got the Sam position there who's probably you know you've got a number of guys who could come and f- fill that the majority of the other backers are are probably also kind of special team guys with a little bit of spot filling and, and of course you're going to be nickel and dime a lot of the time so you're going to you're going to you're you know some you're going to sub out one of those backers at points and put an extra DB on the field and I think probably the best signing sticking with the defense for me is is Desmond King I think he's he's probably one of the few guys and from a defensive point of view, Kevin Pierre Lewis is a guy who was who was benched in, in Washington as the year went on. He, he played it the most snaps of his career, but you know, the perhaps the, the linebacker um, spot on that defense was was not the strongest. But I think when you've got the strength they've got in their front for it, covers up a lot. So there's there's the question there. But I think when you're looking at the secondary and, and how many times you're you're sitting in nickel and dime packages now. I do think the Desmond King um, sign is good, but I, I don't want to be going into a season with Terence Mitchell and uh, and Bradley Roby as your only two outside corners because they left themselves really thin at that spot last year, and they didn't they didn't really do themselves any favors, and they only took one injury at Gary Connolly, and the whole plan was up in the air. So you've got to think they'll still be looking to add uh, corners on the outside uh, because if you've got John Reed, Vernon Hargreaves. And Desmond King is predominantly a slot nickel guy. Then, then he'll you're kind of covered there. But we seem still a bit short on the outside. You got to think. Uh, Casero, he's brought in a few of the of the new coaches, players like Dino Vasso. He he was coaching with the Eagles before this and with the Chiefs, and he brought in Terrence Brooks and Tremont Smith. Both of those players have history with um, Dino Vasso, so. Maybe those are the guys that he's confident might be able to play, but from the looks of it, it's not. They're not proven players. Maybe they'll. Maybe they've shown something to towards where they they, they think they might be able to be deaf players. But besides Brovi, maybe Desmond King who can be a good slot cornerback. There's not really about another like cornerback across from Brovi who can really. Hold it down. Yeah, and I think Roby's probably played his best ball at times inside falling the number one receiver. So there's there's a there's a lot of a lot of questions as always it seems to be with the Texans with the with the secondary. But I think it's a position that as you go into the the later rounds in the draft, um it's it, they're harder to fill because, you know, particularly corners and sometimes you know, and safeties as well. You know anything below the third round, in which we've only got one, you know, one pick in that space, then you, yeah, you're limited in your resources. So, in terms of the the defense, Jerry, what do you, th- where, how do you think, if you think back to pre-draft last year, um, do you think this defense is any worse? And because I think that the secondary, they're only as good as the guys that rush up front. Because you've got to cover for eight or, eight or nine seconds, you know anyone's going to anyone's going to slip free. Shaq Lawson and and uh, Jenkins has come over from uh, again a guy who who the Jets who are who are picking up ahead of the Texans um, draft slot in this year. So an even arguably an even worse roster than ours last year. That's your predominantly your two main pass rushers. What do you think of that front four um, and and the sub packages guys you can bring in? Do you think? We're in a worse position talent-wise. Obviously, JG won't be the big factor, but do you think we're worse off talent-wise than we were this time last year? 
I know it's hard to say this because we're transitioning, but from a from a kind of production point of view, do you feel confident that this these guys they've got can make the transition smoothly in year one? I uh, yeah, I don't think it can be any worse than last year, to be honest. <laughs> uh you know, losing JJ Watt's obviously a big loss from the perspective that even though he's not the player he used to be, he's still he was still probably one of the best offenders we had last year in the front seven. And obviously uh, we're going through a through a scheme change from a 3-4 to 4-3. So uh, it might be beneficial for a lot of the players like Jacob Martin, who played in a 4-3 scheme um, from Seattle. So maybe he's a lot more comfortable playing back in a 4-3 scheme than a 3-4 scheme because sometimes they were moving um, Jacob Martin around, you know, through the middle when you should just put him on the edge and let him, you know, get to the quarterback. That's what he does best. And also... I like Shaq Lawson. I mean, considering that uh, it was a possibility of us just trading or cutting um, Bernard McKinney, getting something back and getting a, a solid ed- edge rusher in Shaq Lawson, uh, he'll probably help a lot in, in the run stop run stop defense, which was pretty bad last year. And we also have Merciless, who he's not looking too good right now, but maybe in the four three scheme he'll look a lot better and. There is obviously those reports um, from I saw a tweet from Texans cap saying that he heard that Mercer was, was working really hard in the offseason to like obviously improve because last year he was basically a no show for the most part of the season. And we have other players we have um, like that are like low risk, low risk, high ceiling, like Derek Rivers. Uh, he was drafted in the third round um, a couple of years back. With the Patriots, he's a guy that Casario somewhat knows. He might be something, and if not, there's not too much uh, money invested. And there's also John Grenard, who we who might be an edge rusher. Now, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure he played in a four three scheme in Florida. I might have to check that, but just having players that are comfortable in the scheme they played before goes a long way. Yeah, I think Ross Blacklock hopefully falls into that category as well because you think Jonathan Grenard is what two sixty. In that range, so he's a, he's he's definitely not going to be uh, going to be a linebacker, and he's going to be a defensive end in a four three. So I think it's it's I think it's it's difficult to project because you've got an issue of a changing scheme, a changing coaching staff, and a huge turnover in personnel. But as you said, being one of you know, I think we're 29th ranked defensive DVOA, we couldn't stop the run. It was just you know at times it was really really tough to watch, and it didn't matter what the offense did. They they couldn't. They couldn't really keep keep you in a game because you were always going to concede yards, field position, and points constantly. So, if they can stop the run, I think that would probably put us in a better position to 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 be at least competitive in games. Obviously, we've got the the issue that the Watson factor holding above us at all times, and that kind of and that kind of probably caveats everything you were going to talk about yeah. this off season. If you were if you were looking at this roster. Right now, who do you think's got the chance to make a, a jump year one to year two? From the veterans or? Or just a jump in general. Uh, oh, I, just a jump in general. Because yeah. if you think you've got guys like Lonnie Johnson, yeah, you've got Blacklock, Grenard. Who, who do you think's positioned possibly in a new scheme, in a new kind of situation with coaching staff that can going to be a plus because we're going to have to find a number of them for this scheme to be even serviceable, I think. Yeah, I think Ross Blacklock, that's a big one. 
because, you know, last year he was considered a, a fringe first rounder, early second round pick. Uh, I'm pretty sure he played a 4-3 scheme in TCU. So hopefully that just um, going back to a scheme that he already knows, from um, he'll, he'll be a lot more comfortable. And also Amenahu, he's a player that's really impressed me considering he was drafted in the fifth round by Texas. Uh, he can play a little bit inside, a little bit out. So I like that versatility. He might be a player that might finally make the leap because he was he was doing pretty good for the Texans last year. And obviously, he's on a one-year deal. We just re-signed him. But P.J. Hall, there's certain moments he was probably one of the best defenders on the field. And that's not saying much, but there's he's one of the few players that you could put him at def- defensive tackle and the 4-3 scheme, and he'll look pretty good. He has that explosiveness. And he's... You know, he's pretty small. He's like six one, six feet, you know, like 300 pounds, 310 pounds. But having um, being just having a, a lower sh- uh, pad leverage really helps for a, for a shorter player. And he's a really great athlete. So, you know, he, he's not guaranteed a roster spot, but given a, a new scheme, he could probably be one of like the sleepers to, to keep an eye on. And obviously, that's just the front seven. Um from the secondary, you know, obviously Roby, whenever he's on the field, he's for the most part at the worst an average cornerback. There, there are certain moments he can, you know, he can like he he's able to change the. He's not he's not a game changer, but he has moments where he makes his presence felt. Even though he doesn't have the interceptions to back him up, he's a really, he's probably our best cornerback. Um, also, Justin Reed, you know. I was expecting a big year from Justin Reed last year. He was finally healthy. You know, he, he had no injuries to speak of. He was finally uh, the, the shoulder injury and the wrist in, the, the the wrist injury was behind him. But you know, towards the end of the season, he he just looked lost. But he he obviously has the most upside. You know, from a physical standpoint, he's he's a he's a solid tackler. He's he he he's obviously a very vocal defender. You know, he you can tell he wants to be a good player in this league and maybe, you know, the, the change of scenario with, with the coaching and everything can probably benefit him and Lonnie Johnson at safety. And, and this might be a somewhat of a stretch, but they were also playing Eric Murray at, at corner slot corner. When he said, I believe he said at the, when he was entering the, when he had just signed up the Texans that they said he was they were going to play at safety. So, Maybe if they move him to safety, he'll probably be able to do something c- compared to last year where they were playing like out of position and they're hoping for the best and they're, they weren't really playing players to their strengths. So hopefully the new coaching staff can probably put their put the players where they, where they can best succeed at moving forward. Where do you think, so if we go back through a couple of those, we think, where do you think Jacob Martin plays? I would say defensive end in a four three scheme because they're playing him in a, as a um, standing outside linebacker in a three four scheme. So I I think he that probably be his best role moving forward. And I think he played uh, defensive end in temp, Temple's four three scheme too. I believe they ran a four three scheme in college. Yeah, I think the the concern the concern just for that one would be like on the. On the out, you know, in terms of the run defense, you're talking about that's got to improve him. I know it's kind of leveled at him at times that he's not necessarily the the best run defender, but he's a light lighter guy for being 
a defensive end, a four three, and he's sort of two thirty, two forty in that in that kind of range. And then you also you got I think with Amena, who as Leggy said, he is probably one of our better players last year in terms of you know stacking up stats in terms of quarterback hurries and and hits. He he was he was up there, and he got a number. He got a, a, a career high sack total. But having those two guys playing at once, I think you know I'd be switching. I'd be I'd be calling audible and switching to a run if you see them. Um, as, as half of your front four. Yeah, but also uh, maybe just to a four-through scheme, like you just want guys who can like penetrate and like just get downfield and like obviously there's um, gap integrity and stuff like that, but we do have good athletes on the field. We, you know, I would I would consider Jacob Mark Marion a good, really good athlete. Amenahu, who he's a pretty good athlete for his size. You know, he has really long arms that can obviously help him on, on the inside or outside. We, uh, Shaq Lawson, he's a good athlete. Uh, Cunningham, like, he's not the best in coverage, but he can hold his, his own from time to time. Like, we have athletes in the backfield. We have Justin Reed, Lonnie Johnson, like, like, and they look pretty good whenever they were, uh, whenever they were blitzing the quarterback. So, even though they might, they might, you know, not hold up as much on the run, run defense, uh, Lovey Smith can use those type of players, like defensive backs, to like disguise coverage. Like you might think they're uh, they're dropping back in coverage, but they're also, for the most part, they've shown um, some film in the past. They can be, they can rush the quarterback. You know, just disguising things. Like you know, our, our defense. By like, I'm not trying to say our defense is going to be like a top ten defense by any stretch, but if we have the right coach. Uh, you know to to play, to use the players to their strengths, or they can make something happen. It's just about um, them them being willing to like adjust to the players they have on on the on the roster, and not try to like make them do things that they're obviously not comfortable doing. Yeah, where do you sit on Justin Reed? Because I mean, really, this should have been a year where he was getting re-upped. You know, going into his fourth year as a third round draft pick, he's probably, in my mind, and I've talked about this before, he's probably not had the the tape since his rookie year when he was just a spot filler behind Ty Matthew and Kareem Jackson. I know he's had a lot of injuries and labrums and shoulder issues, and he sometimes plays like he, he he's weighing in a bit more than he actually does on the scales. But I think this is a big year for him because the, definitely the talent's there. And I think if it hadn't have been with some of the league issues and sort of blackballing of his brother and the Kaepernick deal, he probably would have gone a lot higher. And I, I still think that was a big factor. And, and him drop into the third round, but it, it's it's a big year for Justin because he has to find a way to be consistent for sixteen games uh, in a starter role. He's not done that, and if you don't have a guy that can do that, you just simply can't pay him. Yeah, and i I do like I do sympathize with him a little bit because he he hasn't had the the easiest path to um, in his first few years. You know, you obviously mentioned the injuries, but also. He hasn't really had a running mate in the safety, you know, to like really, you know, build chemistry with because he started off the first year with Kareem Jackson um, and Tyron Matthew. Then the second year they signed uh, Tayshawn Gibson and then he got waived the next year. They brought in Eric Murray and then he didn't even play safety because they played him at cornerback. So they brought in Lonnie Johnson alongside him too. And he was barely learning the position. You know, he was he was he was drafted to play cornerback. So uh, I feel like that, that that also has a lot to do because 
defensive backs in the backfield, like they, they have to like have constant communication. They have to know certain things. And if they don't, if they're not comfortable with the people they're, they're playing alongside with, it's kind of hard for them to play, play the best football because they're for the most, most part always thinking instead of just playing. So hopefully uh, with this upcoming year, uh, him, um, Lonnie Johnson and Justin Reed can probably create some chemistry or even, even Eric Murray. If, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's, he's, he'll probably be on the bench for the most part. Cause we saw, but maybe as a backup safety, he, he can bring something more than what he brought at cornerback. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think he was definitely, I mean, don't get me wrong. The contract was, was, was abhorrent. There was no way he should have got paid that. There's not another team in the league that would have paid him that money that he, that he got was it six eight million a year in that sort of region. So I think he he was definitely a victim of as as was Lonnie Johnson thinking he was going to come in and play a role for this team, and actually that wasn't the case. And he had a far different role that they were about to kind of uh, you know to hand out to him. So I think yeah, I mean, and I think this is probably applicable for the entire roster is that you'll have coaches and staff that will hopefully want to put guys in a better position than they did. The pre, by the previous coaching staff, just by smarts and sensibility alone. I think, you know, there's probably no more is that relevant in the offensive line. And I think probably what's confused me again about kind of moving on a bit to the defense, moving on for the defense, talking about offense here, Jair, but the the offensive line's obviously been mishandled. It's been grossly over-invested in, um, and we'll come on to the, one of those picks in a bit. But the 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 line underperformed in a big way when you thought those investments were going to start to pay off last year. And then I think when you go and trade for a guy who's pretty much exclusively paid, played at right tackle, is 33 years old, and you go up and give quite a number of picks when you give you the, uh, Arizona's fourth that we got in the Hopkins trade back to New England for a fifth, you're trading down a good number of spots there um, for a guy that you could probably argue you don't need. And I think when you're bringing in older players like that, it probably suggests it isn't a rebuild. So what do you think the shuffle on the old line is going to be now that Marcus Cannon was, you know, obviously was in front of the media yesterday? Yeah. I didn't really understand that move. And that's not just me trying to be pessimistic. Uh, but at the same time, I do understand if for whatever reason, Casario thought that he would have competition for, 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 for Marcus Cannon. Um, it does make sense to uh, make the trade if, if that was his, his reasoning, but you know, I don't know. It's really it's really hard to justify that move, but it's not a it's not a game breaker. Uh, I mean, we do have him two two more years in the contract, and he opted out for the twenty twenty season. So overall, from a health standpoint, he'll be he'll be good to go. Um, and he and he offers a versatility. I know we hate that word, but he offers. He can play guard. He can play tackle, and sometimes I, I guess from a when you're in that in that weird spot when you, when I think we should be rebuilding, but at the same time, that's not how the NFL works. You have to constantly create a competitive team at least to like keep fans um, involved and entertained. But having a a veteran player who can you know who's who's won Super Bowl championships. Who, you know, who, someone who who can maybe help Titus Howard, or at the same time, probably uh, 
maybe be an upgrade at right guard com- compared to what we had from Zach Fulton, you know, or that's just being, you know, positive, but there's not, in my opinion, not too much. I mean, it's not, it's not the worst move, but we could have probably done better. Well, yeah, I think you could probably, I, for, for, oh, from just correct me if I'm wrong, but Rod Johnson's not re-signed and he was a good swing tackle at the time. You've got last, you know, we're talking about a fourth round pick. We're actually giving up, so we don't even have as many fourth round picks as we did last year. We expend one of them on Charlie Heck, who, again, is, is you would think would be in the running for a competing for a for the swing tackle at the very least. When you've already invested in both those positions, um, I think I hope whatever they do, they don't kick Titus Howard inside because that means he would have played four spots in three years and he's not even completed a 16-game season yet. So I can't see how that would be any good for his development. Yeah. And to be honest, just the O-line in general has been like, it's been in shambles since Mike Devlin was a coach. He's he's done a lot of questionable moves from, you know, we can, we can uh, quickly recap. We drafted Julian Davenport. We drafted Martinez Rankin. They're both expected to play tackle. Uh, Julian Davenport, they messed up his development from moving in from left tackle to right tackle and then back to left. And then uh, Martinez Rankin, they were moving him all over the field. Uh, he played some left tackle. They were considering moving him to right tackle. They put him at guard. So he, they basically ruined his development too. Um, and then obviously, uh, Tyus Albert, he was also drafted at um, while Mike Devlin was the coach and he went from left guard to all the way to the right side of playing right tackle. So who knows how this upcoming coach, um, James Campen, sees Titus Howard. Maybe he sees him as a guard compared to, like, how Devlin saw him as a tackle. Uh, Who knows? They they might have different um, coaching styles, and they might consider Howard a better fit as a guard. But I think they should just keep Howard at tackle. You've already had them there for almost two seasons or almost like, you know, they, they weren't 16 games, but he's been there for quite a while. So might as well just keep him there and hopefully he continues to build upon what he's been doing. Yeah, I think it's 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 something you probably need to get right. And obviously it comes back to who's that quarterback question that's hanging over you. But at the same time, there's, there's a lot, lot to be understood there in terms of where that... I, I don't think the centre's a clear-cut battle as well. I saw you put out on Twitter, and quite rightly, Justin Brett Steele's kind of a prove-it deal. Um, and you've got a couple of guys like McCray and Cole Turner that brought in um, who are familiar with Campton. But I don't think centre's a, a, a foregone conclusion either. Exactly. And they also have Cole Cabral. Um, used to resign them like, before the season ended last year, but I didn't think he was going to stick to the roster, but he's still here, so maybe Casario sees something in him. And we also have uh, – and they also brought in um, Nick Easton for, for a visit uh, last week. So I think the center position – like I wouldn't say it's, com- it's completely solidified, but I think if they find someone available, uh, you know, through the draft or maybe uh, later on in the offseason, they might be able to bring in. Because uh, they basically rebuilt the, or they're they're in the process of rebuilding the the interior O line. Because Senior Clement is no longer here, Nick Martin is not here anymore, Zach Fulton is not here anymore. Uh, we've basically blown up the interior O line, and rightfully so. They were pretty bad last year. From like, they just, they just never were never able to get on the same page. 
maybe that was Mike Devlin's fault. Maybe they just weren't good enough, but a, a change needed to happen. And hopefully we get it right this time. If, um, if, even if Deshaun's not here for the next quarterback or if Deshaun's still here, he'll benefit from that. Yeah, and I suppose that the offense is probably in a bit of flux as well. And I don't think, considering that, with the defense context we just talked about, it probably doesn't bode well for for any kind of results. But I don't think anybody's particularly under any illusions of where that might be. But I think when you look at Darren Fells going as well, who was kind of Deshaun's stalwart, and, you know, Dick Martin going, and obviously the part and receiver, which we'll come on to. But in terms of the tight end roles, obviously they've traded for, for Ryan Izzo from... Uh, from the Patriots, so what? Where, where do you or who do you see playing that predominantly Y role in terms of being a blocking tight end, and then a flex out in the short term to immediate routes? Because obviously you kind of um, Jordan Aitkins will still be there as your kind of F role, but where do you see that that kind of Y role going? Did you think Izzo kind of sits in, or is he just going to come and compete for a spot? And Kahali Williams maybe got a chance to to to, make, to claim that spot as his. I would say, as of right now. I like what Farrell Brown's Farrell Brown is doing. Uh, we re-signed him to a one-year deal. Uh, he was basically everything um, Darren Farrell was supposed to be, but younger, and he's a better athlete for the most part. He's pretty tough. Uh, you know, we've seen him in the passing game. He's not the most like agile or the most athletic, but he's hard to bring down. And for the most part, he's he's a, he's a decent blocker. They've used him in the H back role. They moved him around in the, in, in the like next. Larry Tunsil in the, in the you know in the wide tight end role you know he's done his part yeah, he can help the the linemen in blocking assignments and he's probably the, the favorite one because Ryan Izzo he doesn't bring much to the table besides his blocking and special teams but so maybe they want him in that role because he's there's been times throughout Patriots games that I saw in the past that you know he didn't offer much in the passing game but he could he could hold his own in the blocking game so. It really depends how they see them moving forward. Obviously, Farrell Brown's the, the better overall tight end. We're comparing him to Izzo, but maybe they, they use um, Farrell Brown in other ways moving forward. Yeah, because the Week 17 game against Tennessee, I thought that uh, Farrell Brown, I thought the first time that he's starting to look like a starting caliber kind of tight end, but obviously that was with Watson throwing him the ball. Yeah, and it also depends... Uh, how much they're used because I, I feel like for, for the last few seasons, we've had um, talent at tight end. You know, obviously in 2019, whenever Fells had seven touchdowns and then, you know, this year he had three touchdowns and he was barely playing. So there is some talent there. Like we have big bodies who can be threats in the red zone. And, you know, we also have plus athletes like Kahali Warren and Jordan Aikens. Obviously, Warren right now, he's more of a, like he's more of an athlete or project than a tight end. But and he's one of the players that he needs to step up because, you know, Bill Bryant's not here anymore. Brian Gaines not here anymore. He was drafted by Brian Gaines. Uh, they're no longer here to back him up and say, hey, you know, he's a third rounder. Like we need to play him. For Casario, he, he's already bringing in his guys. He bought he, he brought in, you know, as we mentioned, Ryan Izzo. And he also signed Paul Quesenberry from the Patriots. So that's two Patriots tight ends who he knows. So who knows? They might consider them more reliable or better options moving forward than Kahali Warren, who hasn't really shown much, even though he does show promise. But that's all it is at the end of the point. You got to show it on the field. Yeah, that's right. I think in 
I suppose it brings on to the, the wide receiver position as well. And again, in flux or the, the state of flux that we're in. But I suppose it's probably a simple, straightforward question. But who would you have rather spent money on, Will Fuller, and maybe draft a couple of rookies? Or would you rather have let Will Fuller go, goes to Miami, which I don't know if that was pre kind of or, or in the midst of some of these allegations coming out about Watson, but in the, in the hope that you'll join him there. But the, the Texans have brought in Andrew Roberts, who's a, a special team and guy, but he's 33 again and they've given him some guaranteed. I think there's an out after one year of three million as a returner, but you brought in Chris Conley, Chris Moore, you got Alex Erickson, Dante Moncrief. All come in. Uh, and yeah. I think, I suppose, who would you rather? Yeah, Dante Moncrief. Yeah, who, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Fuller out there uh, on a lot? And if look, if it is Tyrod Taylor, will Fuller um, can stretch the field because Taylor's Taylor's long balls and is is pretty decent. Um, and I, I I suppose it can. It, when I saw Fuller was going to walk and they weren't going to tend him, it, it seemed like well maybe that is where they are with the Watson situation because I can't underestimate or I can't understand why you would pay all these guys um, or just pay one guy and draft some you know young developmental rookies and and, and have them on small salaries this year and it. It seemed like that was probably one of the that and maybe the Nick Martin kind of kind of signing or the release rather was the two of the telltale signs probably where they are with the Watson element. Yeah, to be honest, uh, anything can happen with Watson right now because there is certain just from a perspective that most most back in time most teams didn't have the first rounders. It, it seemed a lot likely that. A trade could have happened like right before the draft or on draft draft base. What it could offer, uh, you know, this year's first rounder, next year's first first rounder, you know, but and possibly possibly the next one and you know dra- other draft picks, second rounders, third rounders. But also, it depends on on how much Casario values um, receivers because they're already paying you know Brandon Cooks plus ten million almost this season, or they were at least before before the pay cut. Or the restructure, and they're also playing, paying Randall Cobb, you know, close to ten million. So it would have been kind of um, tough to like pay Fuller the like the money he wanted, considering you know it would already be like three receivers that are like getting highly paid. But I was I was in the camp of keeping Will Fuller just because whenever he's healthy, he he produces. Uh, he proved last year he was the number one receiver. And whenever he was on the field, and there's there's this crazy stat like he almost had a, there's this this run throughout the season he almost had a touchdown reception every single game, so like he was proving he, he like he could have possibly been a a, a a number one receiver for this for this offense, but it also you know, I understand you know you can't keep everyone, and obviously some of that amount it's is because of the bad contracts from Whitney Merciless, you know. Um, Eric Murray, Randall Cobb, you can add him in there, but it is what it is. Uh, I would have wish sort of franchise tagged them, or you know, because it kind of like similar to the Clowney thing. If you if you can't work out a, a, a long term deal with them, at least you can trade them and for sure get a draft pick in return. But I guess Casera didn't see it that way. He chose not to tag them and. Once you don't tag a player, you know, anything can happen. I mean, obviously, you hope for the best and that he comes back and resigns, but 
after his name was being mentioned in trade and trade rumors towards the deadline. It can, you know, it, it can fracture relationships at times. Um, and all, and also it's a business. So if, if the team's only offering you a certain amount of money, you got to do what's best for you and your family. And to, and to Miami's credit, it was a pretty team friendly deal. So it's only $10 million for what he does, for what he brings to the table. Um, it can be a really good deal for him. Yeah, I think you're right. And I suppose the yeah, you can't keep everybody in the, the errors, you know, similar to the Eric, Eric Murray on the defensive side of the ball. The offensive equivalent is Randall Cobb. And you said, yeah, that contract in itself, when you still had Kenny Stills on the roster and you paid three quarters of his salary last year, when you still had Kiki QT on the roster, who was, you know, who showed down the stretch, he could, he could, he, he could play at this level. Not, not that it was ever in doubt. It was probably O'Brien's doghouse and a mixture of health that put him in a position of not playing the snaps he deserved to do. And again, he's going into the final year of his rookie deal. And um, I, I suppose he probably needs to prove it for a new coaching staff. But so again, wide receiver position mismanaged. Do you th- one guy we didn't actually mention, Jairus, Chris Connolly. Do you think he'll be the slated to be the other outside wide receiver? Um in a in a sort of kind of in a base formation on the offense, it's still pretty early to say, but I would say as of right now, it's starting to it's starting to seem like it because um you have Brandon Cooks playing outside, you'll probably have Randall Cobb just because of his contract. He'll be playing in slot, um, maybe sharing those snaps with Kuti Kuti, and you, you also have um on the outside you'll probably have uh Chris Conley, Isaiah Coulter. Dante Moncrief, like you have a bunch of players, you know, competing for that outside role with the most capable one from a big body receiver that you that you want. It's probably Chris Conley because the other one would probably be, um, would probably be I say a Coulter, but he barely played in his rookie season. But he's a pretty big, he's a pretty big receiver, he's six three, good athlete. But at the same time, you know, Chris Conley, yeah, he has a a background with David Coley with the with the Chiefs. Um, same thing with Chris Moore. He was with the Ravens um, while Cody was there. So obviously, um, they're bringing their own guys too. So, but at the same, so I don't, that's why I'm not. Even though Isaiah Coulter and some of the other receivers have more time with the Texans, uh, it's, it's not a guarantee they'll be here because of all the players. I'm not saying competition, but it's the players that they're bringing in. It will be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, I think wide receivers, the the offensive equivalent of linebacker, and the and the amount of bodies they've stacked up, and you think you know you can name five or six names there because you think you've got oh, if you if you take up the three starting roles in a in probably a three by one set that they'll the, based on last year's film, that's kind of the spread out kind of uh, Tim Kelly kind of preference and what he got the best results out of. But if you think they're in sort of three by one, eleven personnel at a tight end, and 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 you think that the three starting roles without Kiki is already defined? Why do we need five or six other guys who are not rookies yeah. competing for you know probably one spot, you know, or two spots at most? So it, I think that probably you know the wide receiver position in itself probably illustrates just the numbers game and the high volume approach they've taken in in free agency. The and I, and I do get the it. Next sort of kind of obviously evolution. Of the, yeah, not, not to cut you off, um, but I do get why they have why they need so many receivers because obviously in training camp you got to run the first offense, the second offense, and even the third offense because you know they have Ryan Finley and um, Tyrod Taylor. Who knows if Watson will show up? But 
they have two other quarterbacks on the roster that um, need to run some time with the offense. So it's 10 receivers is pretty normal to have like leading up to, to the training camp. But obviously uh, for the most part, all these receivers have um, been on NFL rosters elsewhere. And, uh, and like in, compared to the other seasons with the Texans, we had, you know, like last year we had Will Fuller, we had uh, Brandon Cooks, we had Randall Cobb, we had Coulter, we had Steven Mitchell, Chad Hansen, we had Tyler Simmons. Like we had other receivers that they weren't like the, you know, like the, the first the first players in the depth chart, they were already solidified, but towards the end um, we had those undrafted players compared to this season that we have I would say NFL veterans, even though they're not, like, most of them aren't, uh, they haven't played significant snaps. They've been special teamers, but we have uh, plenty of um, veterans. And, and it kind of goes to that mantra of competitive, competitiveness that Kobe wants to bring and Casario, maybe. And it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like, it's not the best competition, but they're creating competition. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, we are building towards a ninety-man roster. You're right, I think. But it's yeah. There's probably a lot of consideration. What do you think of Chad Hansen going? I thought it's probably unfair being released. Yeah, I I really did like Chad. Uh, he had a really um, friendly team-friendly contract, and he at the same time he got a. Cons- I mean, I thought he he showed some stuff, um, but it's kind of one of those things where you um, you, you consider it was he that good or was it just because Deshaun Watson was that good last season? He was making anyone look good. So it's kind of like that dynamic. Um, he's obviously he showed enough in this in this um, time here that he'll he'll play he'll find a team elsewhere. But it also he's he. I mean, I'm not losing sleep over it. He's a good receiver, but you know, I guess Casario sees the receiver position as um, a rotating door. Like you can probably bring in anyone, like with the Patriots. You can bring any receiver, and as long as you have a good quarterback back there, they'll they'll be good. Yeah, and I think the the, the wide receiver position is being devalued. I think in terms of the draft and the and the high volume of guys that keep coming out every year because people are playing spread spread formations and guys are getting a lot of reps in college and high school and they're and they're you know they're they're coming in you know quite polished and not being asked to do quite the complicated system stuff and route combinations that they probably weren't being asked to do you know five ten years ago in the league. And I think you're seeing that. Um, definitely change, and I think that that was what made the probably the 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 Brandon Cooks trade kind of not make any sense when you could have got a guy in in the draft and and, and developed him. But as you said, we couldn't develop players, and I think I think after one A of being the offensive line, the wide receivers probably been you know one B in terms of mismanagement. I thought a, an interesting kind of under the radar storyline was Tyler Simmons, who was working out at the Georgia Pro Day. Um, in front of the Steelers GM and they give him a contract. And he was a guy, I remember Lance Sirline picking him out um, as a returner. He was, you know, he didn't really take many snaps for Georgia, but huge physical traits at the wide receiver position. Consider when you think, that, you know, the, the shit that we watched at, at the returner position. I know we've got about five or six guys who can all return, with, but with DeAndre Carter, and he was a guy they let go. And the fact that, Somebody could see him just running routes to the Georgia Pro Day to go and help out some of his old his old teammates. Offered them a contract. I think it probably just shows you, you know, there's been many options and or many many examples of that in the O'Brien era. Uh, Matt Filer being a starting guard. I know he's just moved, but you know, guys like that who are at positions they struggle with, they had guys let them go. 
Um, he went to Pittsburgh and you know played there for a number of years, and, and there's been a number of examples. But I thought that was just another example of roster mismanagement. I think we're probably two or three years away before we can put all these behind us because they seem just to stack up everywhere. Yeah, for sure. Uh, just how everything's going, you know, like this team. I would probably put this team between like four to six wins uh, just because of the um, AFC South. I still think for the most, like you saw last year, obviously it was with Watson. So things might change, but uh, all the AFC South games, they were like one score games for the most part, besides the wins against the Jaguars. So, uh, you know, not, not having Watson might change things, but who knows? Maybe, I don't consider um, our AFC South rivals, you know, that much better than us, if any. Uh, you know, I believe we had like seven games last year that were just one-score games that we lost. I think at least seven games. So we're not, you know, if we go to the playoffs, you know, we're not going to make it to the Super Bowl. But this, the the way the NFL is built, there's a lot of par- like there's a lot of parity. There's a lot of, uh, especially this team, like. We might not we might not have top talent, but if we're at least well coached, we're gonna be in it regardless. So that's just the, the best case scenario. Um hopefully Casero from 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 you know moving forward he's able to properly um manage the roster. But who knows? You know, maybe 2022, 2023, like you said, we might be a little bit better in a better in a better place moving forward. Yeah, and the biggest proponent probably of us not being able to get better immediately or at least last year into this year was the trading for Laramie Tunso. And obviously you see the Dolphins flip that pick to San Francisco um, and they moved up They moved up to, to the number three slot, which would have been ours if we hadn't have traded that pick away. So you had the, the one from last year um, and then you've got the, which they turned into a Clavon chase on, uh, I believe from LSU last year, the edge rusher, and then they've, they flipped that pick. So from my count here, Jay, it looks like the Dolphins have managed to, to flip Tunsil for four firsts, a second and a third, uh, or sorry, four firsts and a second or a third, I can't, you know, in between there. So I think it probably, and I, I, I know drafts and the complexions of draft or, or exchanging draft picks and trades will change over time. But where do you, where do you see that one now in terms of the, the, the big mistakes by the O'Brien either because seeing the capital have flipped back for that, I think that that in itself and the number of picks they got and how precious being a third overall pick and look, they obviously grossly underestimated their floor. They always thought they'd be picking in the twenties. That was their justification at the time. You have a down year, you lose a lot of close games, like you said. You get the third overall pick, and you think. The third overall pick, and I think this is probably why O'Brien, which is never fit for the GM, who's a case study to never be in that position. But O'Brien underestimated how bad his team was, particularly on defence. And then I think the worst bit was that he completely underestimated how valuable a high pick is on a roster where you don't need a quarterback. Because you can see now that Cincinnati and Atlanta are sitting just, in just below those slots. I've got the pick of the best non-quarterback 
in this draft, and it's 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 easy pickings at that point. You know, you could even trade down and get more picks in the late round. So I think he, it was just, you know, not that that's new news to anybody that he he wasn't able to assess a roster and he wasn't able to assess value um, in terms of how you build a roster, whether that be cap dollars, whether that be draft picks. But I, I for me, that Tunsil trade now, all being said and done, looks worse than the Hopkins trade because. At least, at least you got a pick for that, and it's kind of it's static, and and the development of Blacklock will probably determine that fully. But the fact that that pick's now been flipped for even more picks on a team you're short of capital, I think that one just looks worse and worse over time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, obviously, I love tons of a player, and like he's obviously an elite tackle, left tackle in this league. But just the way everything was managed during the Bill O'Brien era, like. He got good players in bad trades. You know, he got Duke Johnson, a good player, but for a third rounder. So that made it a bad trade. He got Laramie Tunsil, a great player, but for two first rounders in a, se- in a second. You know, so that made it a bad trade. Uh, he gave up a third rounder for Gary and Conley. You know, he he made a lot of trades where he thought he was getting good young players but he grossly overestimated what they were worth. Yeah, exactly. And David Johnson too, you know, who, you know, like players who in, in the right system, in the right fit, they could bring some type of value in the, you know, in the receiving game and the running game, you know, now, you know, they offer value, but he grossly overestimated what they were worth, you know, and that's probably the worst part because, you know, it's never a good idea when you, trade multiple first rounders within like a five year span. You know, I the Deshaun Watson trade was understandable. You know, they traded their first rounder. Um and then their future first rounder, which turned out to be the fourth overall pick in the next draft for the Browns, in, in which they drafted that cornerback, Denzel Ward. And then, you know, it's always a risk because you never know. Uh, and then we did it again with the Learning Tunnel trade. You know, we our first rounder was in the 20s and then this upcoming one's in the top five again so it's always a risk when you're trading multiple first rounders because if your team's not as good as you think it is or injuries happen that first rounder can easily become a top 10 top five pick because it's so far you know a, a team's fate can change in a matter of no matter of a season so it's, I don't think it's ever smart to trade multiple first rounders unless you're getting a quarterback. But and I, I do understand what, what Bill O'Brien was doing. Um, well, I understand his, his motives. He wanted to get, you know, a left tackle that could help Deshaun Watson. You know, he was getting sacked all the time, but uh, he also put a part in that. You know, there's certain times he was, you know, due to his style of play, he was holding on to the ball and getting sacks or he wasn't throwing the ball away, you know, that plays a part too. But also instead of trading, trading two first rounders for a, for a left tackle, why don't you just fire your O-line coach and get an O-line coach that can properly develop players? You know, I think he, even though he got a good player, like he took the easy way out and it, and it had some upside, but obviously it ended up paying, you know, it ended up buying, biting them in the butt again, you know, cause you know, it's like, Trading first rounders is never a good thing, especially future first rounders. Yeah, it just went. It just goes back to that point of he didn't understand value, 
And when you see that draft last year, again, which was a terrible draft, we might not have any starting players out of that that draft, albeit you were you were reduced from second round onwards. But you, you know, you give away the picks like the Duke Johnson one. He said a guy who was the fourth fourth choice running back on that squad. You go and draft a third round pick for him. So you know, the culmination of all these moves is just is is a lot to take. And you think you saw Trent Williams get paid last you know a couple of weeks ago in, in free agency and. You know, he's a guy, Texas, Texas native. And look, if you go and watch him, any film cut-ups of him, and if you go and watch him run block and the way he gets out in front of in, in front of the the, the, the running game and, and clear space, and he's he's more athletic, he's probably more athletic, a more willing blocker in the run game than Tunsil is. And then, you know, um, the 49ers, they've had to pay him. Yeah, but we've had to pay, pay Tunsil, you know, an equivalent amount. Because if you look at that Williams contract, it's kind of split into two parts. And the the actual part one in the years that we're paying tons, so he's been paid less APY. But when you when you saw the draft last year, and when they when they traded a mid draft for a third and a fifth, you thought at, at what point did when the when the stakes got high or Miami were asking for a high price, why did you not go back and just offer something more? To Washington, and he could have been a placeholder for a couple of years, and you could have drafted a guy this year or last year, or you know, and you could have built forward. But he just had that win now. You know, I need to fix the issues. I'm not. I don't really care too much of the cost. And look, he probably knows he was. He was. He had a short lifespan left. Uh, but to give a coach and a coach those powers, it's not to go over old news, right? But it's just it, just the salt in the wounds when you see that. But that. You know that pick getting flipped for all these other extra picks, but to give a coach that that many powers when he didn't have that long left in his on his contract when he hadn't won anything, I think you know that goes back to probably what our central problem is, and it's, it's weak ownership, and they allowed that to happen, and uh, and we're going to be paying the price for it. And I think no more. So in this draft, so in terms of in terms of draft strategy, we're limited with picks. We traded back into, from the fourth into the fifth with New England. So we've got one third, one fourth, two fifths, a couple of sixths and a couple of sevenths, eight picks in total. What do you think the kind of best case scenario for the draft is and what kind of positions do you think they're going to have to address? Or do you think simply we've got that many holes and you just want to go, you know, best player available? I would say the best, yeah, I feel... Free agency, you draft for need. I mean, free agency, you sign for needs. And then in the draft, you draft the best player available where you can uh, um, develop them down the road. And, you know, maybe you get a uh, from the eight, from the eight players you draft, maybe one of them becomes a starter, hopefully in the third round. And it's, it's, it's kind of like looking at, at comparing it to the to Brian Gaines situation um, whenever he first became um, general manager. Uh, he didn't have a first or a second round pick either because of, of the Watson trade. And he, he drafted Justin Reed in the third round and he, and he became a starter. So in a way, it'll probably be the same way, like some, same expectations. Uh, you can't expect to get starters, you know, all over the field in, in one draft. Maybe uh, if we're lucky, Casero drafts the best player available in the third round and he becomes a starter for us. And the rest of the players... You know, you draft the the best the best player available, and then you know just hope for the best. You know, the, hopefully the, the coaches are able to develop the, those talents to the point where they can become players down the road. If not this year, maybe you know twenty two, twenty twenty, twenty twenty three. 
Yeah, we're, we're and uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, I think we're we're limited. I think you, ideally you want to trade back, um, but I think beyond that third round pick, I don't think you're going to get a huge amount of value for that. I mean, you might pick up an extra fourth and maybe have three picks in the fourth round, but I can't see us being able to, you know, get too much value back in the draft. And I suppose it just depends on the board and it depends on on where they're looking to, to pick up guys. I think for me, they just have to try and get as many guys as they can in the in the front seven on defence, outside corners, and you've got to maybe try and pick up a sort of possession wide receiver who's got some dominant traits that can maybe have a bit of upside. Yeah, and even if uh, Caceres, his, his receiver draft record hasn't been the best, I like, but at the same time, we don't know how much of that was um, was Bel- Bel- Belichick, you know, playing a role. So hopefully here he can he can draft better receivers and overall because we're going to need it. Yeah, I think so. And then I suppose it's, I think really, Casario in this year, he wants to try and get his, the best bodies he can and the best talent he can at the positions he can. And we'll, we'll see. And I suppose like everything we're talking about this offseason, it is a shadow hanging over it with a Watson situation. If he's traded, then it might well be the, the case. Um, before we just round up on some Watson talk, Jair, what did you think of the new TV deal and the 17th game, I suppose, for us, when you're not particularly looking forward to a season, an extra game? I don't think that's nearly a good thing. I think as it's slated just now, it would be an extra game where we would host uh, Carolina. Right. I mean, for the fans, you know, obviously it's going to be more football. That's always good, but... and. Obviously for the league, you know, they're going to make, they're going to make, they made real, like they made a lot of money from that, from that um, TV deal with the, with Amazon and all those type of networks. So they're going to, I, you know, obviously it might not, it, it might not um, show up immediately, but down the road, uh, that might help out the, 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 the NFL's cap situation with, with the pandemic. So hopefully that's a uh, extra money that we can use considering all the, all the, all the restructures we're doing. But in terms of the players, that's probably the only one negative because it's it's more wear and tear for a player. You know, I think David Johnson was touching on it yesterday that, you know, the body's already, for him, at least for the running back position, you're already like feeling it towards the end of the season. Like you're kind of already like wore down. So it's, I do feel a little bit bad for the players because it, it equals more more chance of injury, but I do get it from the financial sense for, for the league. It makes sense to, you know, make the most money possible and hopefully uh, that reflects on the salary cap. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. I mean, the, the salary cap will go up, but I mean, I think people seem to kind of overlook the fact that we're borrowing from future or this year has been borrowed from future years. It'll only go up in steps. So, but I think, yeah, the wear and tear on the players, I mean, they are getting an extra game check for it, but I often think, you know, particularly last season, and you, you know, you talked about the year where Watson got injured twenty seventeen, where we had the fourth overall pick, and you know, a lot of the, you know, there was a lot. Of, there's been that season, and there was the twenty twelve season as well, which I think many of us just were, you know, wanting it to be over. And I think there's a lot of teams in that position. By that point of the season, the games mean nothing. So to add an extra week on that, you're pro, you know, you're probably going to have, you know two weeks to three weeks, you know, at a minimum now where you've got games that don't mean a huge deal. And I don't think that necessarily helps the spectacle, but as you said, it's a business and 
the money talks at the end of the day. But uh, yeah, I thought yeah, and obviously there'll be a rotation with AFC versus NFC, and that's how the game will be decided as it stands anyway. According to Peter King, it'll be Carolina will be the extra game that we'll host at NRG, and probably another another game perhaps for fans to either show their displeasure or not turn up. I don't know, but. Um, it's a big change. I thought the timing as well, when they announced the timing of when you've just gone through a suppressed free agency period, when players in the middle class of free agents have just been ruled out even more because of the salary cap to cap declining, to then announce that at that time they did was pretty insensitive and pretty uh, and pretty kind of tone deaf to probably some of the players that in, in the reduced sort of incomes that they're going to get. And, and I think... As well, you know, players in this league versus other sports, you know, we were talking about, you know, the Astros a bit and the Rockets in versus your average starter level player. There's not a huge amount per game. A lot of these guys, special teamers and a lot of these low value deals that we picked up, these guys aren't picking up a great deal for the amount they're taking out their bodies. So um, I think it probably just speaks to the, the the type and outlook of owners that, that are in this league and it's really you know if you don't convince yourself it's anything else or it's about anything else other than just purely dollars yeah and the worst part was that uh the players um they had the chance to change things um during the cba the last cba like that was um i think it was signed 2020 yeah. uh, they had the chance to like put their foot down but you know it just didn't it didn't go their way or not not every player felt the need to like change things so who knows um, when might be the next time they, they're able to make an impact like that on the CVA. Yeah, no, definitely. I think in talking about the rules of the CBA, we've obviously probably not trying to spend too long on this because it was good to actually just talk some general football rather than sort of gossip and headlines. But you've got, I think we're up to 19 civil lawsuits filed on Watson. I think for me, the, the bit that I'm kind of, unclear about is or well there's two two parts of it one what's the the central point of collation how do all these lawsuits all end up with the one lawyer and i think you, you saw an article by si uh, came out yesterday late on uh with jenny Varentes wrote it and they said they've spoken to a masseuse in the houston area who wasn't part of the wasn't part of things again not a great look for watson some of the depictions of his actions etc not particularly flattering and I think it really ruins his image and it ruins his stance of of you know you know the Texans lied to me therefore I want out and I think you know it definitely decredits him and it'll continue to do as long as this looms around and it will over a civil court case but I thought it was interesting one part of the article there and it, it kind of made light of it but it, it said it said very clearly that they were they were talking about that they wanted a Busby wanted them to sign up to a contract very quickly, and it sounded, you know, and I thought that was a, a small snippet in that article that kind of seemed, you know, and I, I don't think you can't assume anything, but it certainly showed you Tony Busby's um, sort of his willingness to go after Watson, and he's definitely looking to collate as many as many clients as possible. And I think there's there's probably something there that errs on the side of probably not what's considered sort of normal practice there for a lawyer to do that. But he certainly seems he's very much in the client acquisition business as it relates to this thing. And he's not just taking these cases in isolation, I think is the point that we're, we probably need to bear in mind. Yeah. Yeah, to be honest, like just the whole thing seems kind of like shady for both parties, for, for both parties, you know, because it's too many masseuses for it, for, you know, for it to not, 
for something not to be ha- happen between them. Like, and I, and we also like, there's reports from, you know, Vanessa Richardson. She was saying that some of them were consensual, like that, you know, stuff happened beyond the massage that was, that was consensual. But so it opens up the door that, you know, that Deshaun was probably did meet with some of these masseuses, but what really went down between them is, you know, it's what he, he, he says, she says, you know, like we don't really know what happened. You know, as of right now, they're all civil lawsuits. You're not, there's no criminal charges being filed against, against Watson. And, you know, like, it's kind of like you said, you don't know how much, um, how, how, like, we don't know Tony, if Tony Busby is acting on, on good faith for his clients. You would think so, but he would, you know, he also said that he was sending information to the, to the police, to the Houston Police Department. And then the Houston Police Department came out and said that, uh, he, they said that they had received no um, communication from the, from, from Tony Busby. So not everything, uh, it's just a grain of salt. Um, but not everything Tony Busby is saying is completely true. And you also saw him from some of his IG posts early on. Uh, he was just making it about himself. So not trying to look, not trying to, um, I'm not, I'm not picking any sides. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not pro Watson or, you know, pro Busby and his clients. You know, obviously if what Watson did was true, you know, hopefully, you know, uh, the truth comes to light, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, they rectify things, but if it's not true, you know, obviously you, you want that to be known as soon as possible, especially if you're really Sean. Yeah. And I, I think that, I mean, there, there's issues in the past, right? You've got Tony Busby, he clicked, been a bit economical with the truth. He said it's very much about like him and his mother was a bus driver and all this kind of stuff. And he's claimed that he, he settled for a hundred for $500 million one time and the, the actual paperwork showed $127 million settlement. So he's, you know, he's got, past history being economical with the truth. He then filed a one of his one of the last three lawsuits said Watson had been reaching out to people in his camp and or people in the camp had been reaching out in order to settlement. He said he'd been deleting Instagram messages, which, you know, I think for anybody who's who, who's ever messaged anybody on Instagram, you can delete it on your end, but it's still there, just like anything you do online. It's it's got a footprint as soon as you upload it or as soon as you hit send. So I think that there is stuff, you know, and obviously there was the, the sworn affidavit by Brian Burney last week. So it's a very, very convoluted picture. Um, I, I think, yeah, no, until you see the evidence, and it doesn't seem like there's any uh, any evidence out there that's that you know that is a smoking gun, you know, perhaps. And I, I think the 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 Rusty Harden will have a, a real job in terms of getting them getting them off the, the, this. Uh, Get, get them off or trying to get this to settle in, in some way. I don't, I just don't, I don't think it ends well for anyone. And I, I wonder what Janice McNair or uh, Hannah McNair make of this. And I mean, I suppose Cal will just probably do what he's told by them. I think that's probably the, or take their opinion from other people rather than forming his own one. But it just feels like a really sorry mess and another, probably another issue that we just didn't need to deal with this off season because we had enough. And I think that the fact that the trade is now perhaps on pause. I think talent always wins out, but do you think this now, instead of, do you think the outcome's still the same? Because it, it seemed like he was just going to hold out and 
and actually now he may well be suspended and etc. So he won't play this year. But do you think there's a chance for the Texans to to repair relationships with him, or do you think this is too far gone and this is just an extra distraction that has him and his camp will deal with and the football side will be very separate? Do you think there'll be a way the Texans can use this to support him at a, a time of adversity and, and maybe move it around for a positive football in sense, which is him on the field? Yeah, I mean, from what from, from what Patrick Storm said last week, he said there's a there's a small chance that um that Deshaun could send could end up with the Texans. So I think there is an opportunity, or there is, but it all depends how it's how everything um unfoils from here on out, how everything develops between um Deshaun Watson and the and the ongoing cases or, or lawsuits because um. As of right now, kind of like how I said earlier, uh, Tony Busby really doesn't. Um, there hasn't been any criminal charges, um, you know, drawn up against Watson. So all any the only thing that Tony Busby can do is sway the public opinion, and that's why he's been doing all this through the media. You know, like there's there's nothing else he can do. There's no criminal charges being as of right now. So that's all he has, you know, going for him. Um, but if, if, if it all turns out to be false or if, if Watson is able to settle out of court, um, there could be a chance because even though the interest still remains for, for Deshaun, like who wouldn't want to, um, trade for Deshaun for their franchise, you know, he would, uh, a player like Deshaun is capable of, you know, um, just just winning games for your franchise and and he's a young player like as as all the um older quarterbacks um began to face out the league retire uh you know we're gonna need surefire proven quarterbacks to take over and who have a certain timeline to like um solidify themselves as the as the next um you know as the next Aaron Rodgers as as the next Peyton Manning Tom Brady you know someone needs to take those shoes and like move forward with it so but to um, kind of went on a tangent but yeah I, I think there's maybe an opportunity but I, I feel the Texans they're uh, very aware of uh, that it can go both ways so if Deshaun decides to uh, if a trade happens which I, I don't think so just consider like the timeline with everything going on um, we ha- if, if a trade happens we have you know Tyrod Taylor who's been with David Culley and and Pep Hamilton. And we have, you know, uh, we have Ryan Finley, who's, you know, he's still very young. He was drafted in the fourth round in, 20, in, in the couple of drafts back. And he was, he was, he was a quarterback that Nick Sarah really liked. So it, it, could, it could go either way. We have the quarterbacks in place in case we have to, uh, in case we, we're expecting a suspension from the league or a trade, or if not, uh, who knows how, how long the suspension might last too, you know, maybe, you know, maybe um, since we can't trade the Sean, maybe he, um, he comes back and he reports with, with the team um, down the stretch of the season. He plays a few games and his future is, is determined after this upcoming season. There's a lot of ways this, this can, this can go moving forward. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? Cause he's, I think, You've got to think it's very likely 
that he'll be suspended. It might even be more likely he'll be suspended than traded. But I think the, if you look at the, the capital that, that Miami have got and they've signed Will Fuller there, you know, there's a possible chance that, you know, they've got enough picks because they, they've got they've got more picks than probably you're going to be able to hit with players. So they've got that element. And then you've got Philadelphia who picked up an extra pick by trade down to 12. So again, you know, are they sold on Justin Fields there? And uh, and then you've got, um, and you've also got the, the issue with the, probably Atlanta's sitting there, kind of a quiet one. Um, nobody really knows where they're going to go with their new front office and Terry Fontenon, and you've got Arthur Smith, who's so familiar with them in the division. So there's there is still options if, if San Francisco ruled out and and uh, Miami and, and sorry um, the Jets are, are now you know going to go after Zach Wilson, which it seems like that from all the all the press clippings and you see him on the front page of the, the post and and everything that it's, he's going to go and take that take that role. So yeah, I think there's a lot to to go in the off season, but I think it was probably. Probably good that we got a chance to chat about a roster and some football talk rather than all this kind of gossip and uh, TMZ kind of kind of content rather than than football, which has been so hard for this team. But um, Jair, thanks very much for your time, mate. Appreciate you joining me. Yeah, man, it was nice conversation with you, man. Yeah, no, thanks very much, Jair. Thanks for your time. Um, you've got a big article coming out. I saw you. You saw you teasing there on on Texas Unfiltered, so I urge everybody to go and check that out and all your articles that you're putting out there. Uh, yeah, because uh, there's a good, good, really some good writing quality there from you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, hopefully, I'll have it out by uh, later tonight. You know, I've, I've been pretty busy on that, so I've, I've been, you know, I've been like having very little sleep. But hopefully, I'll, I'll have it up um, later tonight. Yeah, we'll check that out. Make sure we give it a plug as well, and uh, appreciate appreciate your time. Uh, Jair and uh, thanks everyone for listening again we're now sort of turning the page we're going to have some draft analysts in the next few weeks as we're looking towards the draft for the limited picks we've got at the back end of the round but again thanks very much for listening everybody uh, thanks Jair for his time and c- continue to check everything out at podcasttexans.com 